Hello and welcome to Leader's Call to Adventure, the show for those that take the road less traveled. I'm Laurie Ference. It's been a while since you've heard from me. And like I said before, this podcast is organic and I'm not on any kind of schedule. Although sometimes I'd wish that the episodes were more regular. I have recorded things since the last time you heard from me, but for one reason or another, they just didn't pan out. So it is what it is. (laughs) I'm happy to say that this conversation is a good one. It's rather long, about an hour and a half, a little more. I looked at cutting it into two parts, but I just couldn't find that point where I could say, yeah, that's a part one, that's a part two, because I really feel like it needs to be listened to in its entirety. And if you take one and you don't take the other, a lot of the context is lost. I'm talking to Karen Clothier of wildqueens.com. Karen supports women to find their inner wild queen, their sovereignty, and their true worth without constantly giving and nurturing others. She left a long-term relationship at 53, feeling nurturing fatigued, and moved to the south of France after a series of very specific dreams. Here she's learning about love, loss, and the Black Madonna. Sound intriguing, mysterious, indeed. I came across Karen about, about six or seven years ago around the time that I was doing my telesummit for Leaders Call to Adventure. She was also doing a telesummit, Menopause the Magical. Essentially for women going through menopause or perimenopause and exploring more of the journey and sharing with others in that. Learning how it could be an empowering time and that it is that, depending on how our perspective is. So I was intrigued being over 40 and also it being a topic of interest, of course, to have women over 40. So along the way, I found Karen to be a kindred spirit, very intrigued by her work. I have done some work with her in the past. I have to say it's very powerful. She is a woman of depth, of understanding. She's just somebody that that you really feel can hold a space. Here's our conversation. Enjoy. So, you know, I grew up in South Africa and um, my dad was kind of a a man's man, shall we say. And so uh, I went into high tech. That was my first foray in the business world. Um, so I always say I was just trying to be his favorite son, you know. Mm. <laughs> so I did that for many years, and I had a software company for um, about five years that I started that had 10 employees and, you know, made revenues in the millions. And that was kind of what I thought was going to be my life. But I was really, really miserable. And it wasn't even that clear to me at some point, you know, that that was true. But I was just felt like I was dying inside. So I... uh, 
I think it would have been really, this is how life has always worked for me. Like I, because people always say, oh, you're so courageous to do blah, blah, blah. But actually often life just has to do things for me. Mm. (laughs) Like I didn't really make the choice to stop that doing that like the universe did and I was I was grateful I mean 9-11 happened and the stock market plunged and and overnight everything just dried up Mm. so I kind of stumbled along for a while um so you had 10 employees and so you know depended on those revenues yeah 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 yeah, I had a payroll of like a hundred thousand a month, so mm-hmm. there was a lot of <laughs> sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. I mean, over time, I was letting go of more and more people each month, but it was so difficult because I had this these companies saying, "Well, we're going to do, we're going to start the project, you know, next month," but it just never happened because everyone was kind of wait and see, you know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so. Eventually, it got whittled down to I had to close the business and um, lost my house and eventually over the years. But it just all started a spiral of like um, nothing was really working. Mm -hmm. And so I started, um, started the foray into, you know, my own healing. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that started uh, moving me actually towards energy healing, which is what I do now, um, which is really looking at limiting beliefs that hold us back and that those are just like an energetic signature that can be sucked out, almost like a vacuum cleaner sucks out the debris in your energy field. Um, so I just found a, a workshop one day, and I was like, "Ooh, that sounds really interesting." <laughs> and you know, I'd done the therapy thing, and I'd sort of gotten quite far with it, but it felt like at some point I kind of hit a plateau. So I just felt like very drawn to the the work, and decided to do a workshop, and started working on myself, and thought, "Wow, this is really helping me." And then I just started doing some sessions for friends and then they started referring people to me and next thing I was in business. <laughs> mm. Now, we, I feel like we've missed out a part here because I know privy to this that you had this online business as well. Now, what's the timeline there and was that concurrent to learning these healing modalities or or how did that all unfold in terms of the timeline? Yeah, okay, so thank you. You're, I've done a number of things along the way. Uh, that was kind of before I got into the energy healing. So I was really passionate about sustainability and design. And at that time, it was just starting to be a thing that you could have two those two things coexist. So I really felt I just loved the idea of finding – uh, beautiful things that were really um, interesting design-wise that were also sustainable. So I started an online uh, e-tailer mm-hmm. uh, selling those. And that um, – I also – I kept that running for about five years, although I would say after about year two or three, I started realizing that I loved the concept of it. I did not really like <laughs> the running of a, 
a retail store. It was quite a lot of detail, mm-hmm. and um, I wasn't. I was realizing I wasn't that good at that. Um, so it was just an awful lot of administrative stuff that was just wearing me down. So I closed that after about five years, um, but did quite well with it. We got a lot of press mentions. Um, in really good magazines like, you know, People Magazine and Lucky Magazine and New York Times. So, Did you have somebody working on that side for marketing and uh, PR for you? Or did it just happen because of the concept was really timely and newsworthy? Um, no, I did have somebody. A friend of mine, um, she, I mean, it was a very small project, but... You know, I think the con- the branding was really, I feel, um, quite good. So there was a look and feel that felt quite different from what had come before. So I think that paired with somebody making a few inroads, um, it just was really um, the right time. Um, it was an interesting concept. Not everyone was doing it yet. And... Yeah, she did help me get out there. But, I mean, the amount I paid for that was very uh, amazing That uh, for the results I got. It was mm-hmm. really um, money well worth spending. <laughs> mm-hmm. So were you feeling, I guess, when, when, you, when you decided to shut that down, burnt out? Yeah, I was feeling there was all that stuff definitely coming up that um, I'm a failure. That was a big one. And I think maybe because I was trying to fit this model of what I thought I should be to be acceptable, um, even though there were fun elements of it, I feel like I'm such a much, and I've only realized over the last few years just a much more um, intuitive, artistic person that is. So these businesses were really hard because they were quite, you had to be quite structured. And so it was the beginning of feeling like I'm just, the first feeling was I'm not making it. I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. And I think that led me to the energy healing because I started really looking at what are these beliefs that I have. Um, And that sort of eventually freed me to see that it just was, I was trying to fit a round peg in whatever the saying is, the square peg in a round hole. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it wasn't like a fit for me Neither of those businesses Even were. though you were successful? For a time I was, but both of them, you see, I couldn't see that. Mm-hmm. I, I just saw that the end result was that I'd closed them both and um, sort of they'd both dwindled to nothing. Mm. But looking back, I can see that it was partly that it was hard for me to stay engaged with that work. Mm-hmm because it just wasn't who I was. Mm. Hmm. The gift of hindsight. (laughs) Yeah. How did you start to discover that, going from what you said about 
sort of fulfilling what your dad would want, you know, in a son, right? And taking right. on a very masculine presence and role and version of success. How did you start to discover, I mean, besides the fact that, you know, that the, finally it was hard for you to stay engaged in those businesses, which were a success, how did you start to nurture and care for and really get in touch with that creative and intuitive side of you? Um, it was a slow process. It, you know, it's not something that happened overnight. It was sort of came in layers, um, like the proverbial onion, peeling the onion. Um, but what I've always been very I've, I've always been and probably to a fault very driven to discover what's going on inside of me and um so i did always a lot of healing work and once i learned how to do energy healing on myself i was doing that work all the time on myself so i feel like as you do that work you literally are sucking like this debris out of your energy field, it, it just starts getting quieter and you get more, I always say it's like there's, you, there's more room for you to expand into because we're taking like psychic um, debris out. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I feel like I just started getting insights and clues and more and more of those and the breadcrumbs started getting clearer and clearer. Mm -hmm. Um, I started just reading lots of magazines and I was always so drawn to design and so I knew art was starting to really like just be in my face. Every, I just wanted, it was like, I was like thirsty. I'd been in the desert, you know, it was like, <laughs> give me that drink. Um, so I knew there was like a real thirst for that. Um the intuitive side, you know, I didn't really realize I was intuitive. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think everybody is intuitive, yeah. but I didn't realize it until quite late. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I did the energy healing class. And even after that, I didn't really think I was intuitive. Mm -hmm. But that was a belief I had. So I don't know, in the next year or two of doing that course, I really started realizing that, oh, I'm quite intuitive. Mm. So I just didn't have a framework to see that earlier because, you know, again, my family always said things like, you know, artists are crazy or cuckoos, they used mm -hmm, to call them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, they had, I'm sure, like something about healing practitioners too, that, you mm. know, they're just like crazy and they believe, you know, this nonsense, fairy, fairy stuff, you right, know. Right, right. So that was all in my psyche mm -hmm. and had to be dismantled before mm -hmm. I really kind of owned these parts of myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And was that through the theta healing or was that a theta healing came later? What was the modality that you started with in clearing out your own detritus in your psyche? Uh, yeah, I started with theta healing. Mm -hmm. And I did that for many years, and it's a wonderful modality. Um, and then I 
um, well, that's like a whole nother story, but I'll give you like the executive summary. I ended up moving to France, to the south of France. And, um, well, I don't want you to do the executive summary because I think that's a really great story. Okay, <laughs> so, so we could jump back. We could go back and explore we'll that story. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I ended up connecting with a woman over here who's actually American, strangely. And she was living like five minutes from me. And she, I'd heard about this modality called SVH, which is serenity vibration healing. And actually it came out of theta healing. So it was very similar, but not. Um, so I just went and met her and had tea with her. And, you know, we became friends. And before you know it, I was taking the classes. So I started then, I liked it because it was so much quicker. You could literally be driving along in your car and think of something and you're like, boom, okay, blah, 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 clear it, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was just much more nimble. Mm -hmm. And it had some other pieces that I really liked, like you could actually go, roll back in time and take the energy off of certain events and things like that. So I started just morphing the two. You know, I kind of took the parts I liked the best from Theta Healing and smushed it in with SVH into that format because it was so much quicker and easier to use. And uh, and that's what I do now. Um, and along the way, I also started training and, be and became a womb priestess. So I kind of wove in the pieces of uh, womb work that I really liked into the modality as well. Mm -hmm. How did the womb priestess path show up for you? That actually started um, probably about 10 years ago. And it just always called to me. I, I started having these visions and dreams, which just started getting stronger and stronger and eventually kind of led me to France. But um, I heard just very strongly ISIS one day in a vision, in a shamanic journey. And I'd, it was before ISIS, the terrorist group, so I didn't really, and even, it's funny to say at that time, I didn't really even know the goddess ISIS. So I went and looked up what ISIS, goddess ISIS, I found out I was a goddess and I looked up about it. And it sort of was interesting, but I didn't quite know why I was dreaming of that or, or seeing that. Um, as the breadcrumbs started, you know, being more and more frequent over the years, I started getting a lot more pieces about, I got told to go to the grotto of Mary Magdalene. And it was just kind of shocking because I had no idea who, I mean, I sort of knew she was somebody in the Bible, but I didn't know much about her. I had no interest. I wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. religious. And I was like, I don't know why you're telling me all this. <laughs> I think you got the wrong person. Yeah. And where is this grotto exactly? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, right. of course, I went on Google, and it turned out it's in France, mm -hmm. somewhere in, mm -hmm. near Aix-en-Provence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, another few months pass, um, and I wake up one morning, and I hear very strongly, Mirepoix. Mm. And I was like, what? Mirepoix? what's that? So I go to Google, of course, and it turns out also to be a town in France, in the south, but on the other side of France. So 
I was starting to, in my reading about Mary Magdalene, and she was actually considered to be a priestess of Isis, and it is to do with um, womb work. It's really, you know, about living as an embodied human being on this earth, being messy and human, not not trying to transcend your humanity. And this is kind of the central piece of womb work. You know, I just started like gravitating towards womb work. As soon as I read about it, I was like, ooh, I want to learn that. Hmm. Um, so I read books and I really didn't go too far with it. Um, and then, I, you know, I was in a long-term relationship living in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. All of this was happening. And I really just thought this is going to be my life now. And I, I'd lived in the States for many, many years. Um, and then suddenly that relationship came to an end. So, again, it was the universe, you know, giving me a kick, you know, because the, the relationship had been difficult. And we'd been sort of trying, quote-unquote, to be happy for most of it, but we hadn't quite ever gotten there, mm. you know. And neither of us, I think, had the courage to say, you know what, this just isn't working. Mm -hmm. So the universe kind of provided an incident that helped helped us mm -hmm. draw the line in the sand, and suddenly I was kind of starting again at, you know, 50, whatever I was, two or something. Mm -hmm. And the more I started looking around where I was going to live, I just found I had no enthusiasm for finding a place and setting up or buying furniture, and I, I just couldn't picture it. And so after a few months, I started thinking maybe I should just really kind of do something crazy and um, – Go somewhere else. Just what if I have a blank canvas of like what's the rest of my life going to be? What would I want to paint on it? Mm -hmm. And I was feeling like I wanted to be closer to my family. My parents were getting older, and um, my brother lives in Europe. So I suddenly just started thinking Europe. Hmm. But I mean, this like you know, even a month before I had that thought would have been like the furthest thing mm -hmm. from. <laughs> um, and I started thinking, well, I'd even sort of forgotten these dreams had been sort of, you know, strung out over years, you know, like a decade. So I but, wasn't like immediately you, thinking anything. Yeah, you were also studying French for a while, weren't you? Yeah, then mm -hmm. that was just such a coincidence. Cause what my, was that all about? Why were you doing that? Do you know why you were doing that? Um, <laughs> well, I'd done French at school, mm -hmm. and my ex and I used to travel a lot, and we'd been to all these places in Africa, you know, many of them speak French. Mm -hmm. And he was sort of frustrated that, like, why can't you remember your French better? You know, it would mm -hmm. make life a lot easier. So he actually said to me, um, just about two years before I left for France, he said, why don't you start taking French lessons again so that it's easier when we go traveling? Mm. So I did. <laughs> so he wasn't speaking French. You were kind of the translator. Is that the idea? Well, a very bad one. Yeah, actually. but that was the... the yeah. <laughs> I, I, that was it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't working. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, coincidentally, I've been learning French. Mm -hmm. 
and um, with a wonderful woman who is like she was very creative. So we did poetry in French, which oh. was lovely. Yeah, it was really lovely. Oh. So, um, so I started thinking, well, where can I go that's warm? Because I'm always cold, and San Francisco is really always cold, and right. I wanted to start somewhere warm. Yeah. So I started thinking, okay, where in the south of Europe could I go? And then I was like, oh, gee, I have been learning French. I've been having these dreams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, I'll go to France. And um, the Mirepoix, how does that, that plays into it, doesn't it? And, yeah. yeah. But, I, but I thought, well, I, I don't want to go to Mirepoix because I also dreamt about the grotto. You know, maybe uh -huh. I'm supposed to be there. And I mean, okay. there were all these signs and I couldn't figure out what yeah. I was supposed to do. Yeah. So, yeah. so I just thought I'll go to Montpellier, which is in the middle, and I'll just do some reconnaissance. And I found a, like an Airbnb for th three months before the summer started mm -hmm. and uh, thought I'll just look around, see yeah. where I want to land. Now, was that was it open for three months? And like usually with Airbnb, it's kind of like a nightly rate. Did you, did they have it as a longer term rental, or did you set that up like that? Well, they did because in France, what they do is they do the Airbnbs mostly just for the summer, hmm. and so they actually all look for many of them look for long term rentals during the off season. Okay, and then in summer you got to be out because mm -hmm. they get the high the high money. Ah, yes. So. I, so I specifically went in 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 winter so mm. that I could have get a place to stay. I only had three months until I had to be out. Mm -hmm. And that was just yeah, I figured I'll just have to figure it out when I get there. Yeah. Um I, I knew it would be hard to find a place once summer came, but I just figured I'd been I'd been getting such specific guidance that mm -hmm. I felt like I would have my back covered, even though I, I will say I was nervous about it all. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I sold off everything. I mean, I've got 20 boxes still, still sitting in San Francisco, but it, the rest's all gone um, or gave it away. And um, off I went to Montpellier. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, uh, as soon as I got there, I started looking around for places to stay like a bit longer and uh, nothing was happening I could not find anything that worked so I started really panicking and thought okay I just need to start writing to everybody now who's got an Airbnb what they, they call them jeets here mm -hmm. um, a self-catering cottage because mm -hmm. I, I knew I needed like somewhere sort of temporary that was furnished so that I could just figure out where I wanted to land mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I just started writing to anybody, no matter where they were in the South. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for a place. Because you know? yeah. um, it was like April and, you know, May would be like the beginning of the season in mm -hmm. a lot of places, mm -hmm. or June anyway. So the only email I got back was from um, Ajit um, that had one month open. And it was just outside Mirepoix. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I guess I'm going to Mirepoix. Mm. You know, after all this, these 
breadcrumbs over so many years being led to this town. And this is the, the one opening I get out of all of the places I wrote to, which was dozens. Mm -hmm. So I packed my little car and my kitty um, in the car and off we went. And um, I landed basically on the doorstep of the man who became my beloved. Mm. That was his his sheep that I landed up in. So talk about, you know, when you, when the noise goes down enough to hear, you know, the breadcrumbs, what amazing things can happen, mm. you know, that you could, you could be living a life on the West Coast in a relationship thinking, you know, this is your life and, you know, just so short after that, I'm like dropped on the doorstep of somebody that really changed my life. Mm. Um, and five minutes away from that place was Jill Marie who taught me SVH, which really shifted me to another whole level with my own healing. Um, so it's so interesting that I, from California, I ended up in this little town. It's not a big town. It's, you know, 3,000 people. Little town in France uh, that's not particularly well-known, meeting an American woman and a Scottish man that both changed my life, living <laughs> five years you know, it's like, <laughs> um, it's just been a wild ride. Mm. And then, as you know, um, the, the next part of the story is the part where it gets really hard to understand um, because within a year he passed away, um, my partner, which was very unexpected, obviously, and shocking and um, just unfathomable, really, because it felt like so incredible the guidance that I'd gotten to land up there with him just felt so hard to understand why why would he be taken away from me so quickly you know and I don't have an answer for that <laughs> this is the the mystery of life right um, we don't always understand why things happen But the depth of your healing as a result must have been catalyzed. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, to heal that grief, you'd have to go really deep. Yeah, I, I feel like I kind of got hurled into it, you know, hurled, like it just felt like being shot out of a cannon into it, you know, and um, I think, you know, I was listening to your interview with Lisa Bowles, um, who also lost her husband, and um, there's so much that's 
unspeakable about grief. You know, it, it's just you can't put words to most of this. Um, but it forces you into these places you don't want to go. You know, like I think mm. we all have so much grief just from living <laughs> as a human, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like these little mini griefs everywhere for, for so many things, and it's really hard to access that sometimes. Um, and it feels like this, it just was like the plaster got ripped off, you know, and it it just all came out in a mm -hmm. torrent, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and there were weeks I remember just, you know, like crying for a week. It felt like I just did, hardly stopped, you know. Yeah. Um, and I thought I would never, like, find the end of the, the bottom of it, you know. And I'm not sure I have or, or will, you know. It's just such a hard – I've come to realize it's not ever going to go away. It doesn't take up as much of my life as it did in the first – six months mm -hmm. but it's not a straight line graph for sure I know that um, you know I've been very busy I just moved and I um, just as we were talking earlier I went I just did a one-on-one -on -one retreat with somebody here a personal retreat um, to Magdalene and Black Madonna side so I, I I haven't thought about it for a while. And then as I came off it, you know, another layer came of a, another sort of wave of grief, just reacquainting myself with the um, the sadness and the – it's just such a – the finality of that mm. fact that I, I will never see him again. Um yeah, so it's been a very surreal experience. Um, you know, I've done a lot of embodiment work before, so I feel like very grateful for that because I really was able to just, when the grief comes, it just comes, and I can be at a restaurant, it can be wherever, it just, the tears when they come and they're coming, you know, and I just I just really allowed whatever needed to be there um, come. But what what is the part that's hard to express is that at the same time that I was feeling this just unspeakable grief, I also felt this rebirth and I know people always say when something dies something new can be reborn but I was amazed at how they both coexisted almost it was a very strange feeling and I just started having this huge creative surge and I just started you know painting my furniture that I hadn't done for months and months and months and I just I was just hold up in my little apartment, mm -hmm. in my little cottage, just painting away a storm. So the healing has been in so many different ways and different 
um, different levels and it will probably go on forever. Seems like, you know, through this, you know, I, it is hard to like pinpoint, you know, an end. There is no end, really. And it's just a process. But it seems that in living through this loss and allowing the grief and feeling the grief and I, and I do want you to talk more about embodiment work and what that is and what that can do but that well I know just through working with you that the depth of what you can share and offer others who are experiencing loss or some major changes in their life has to be so much more as a result of what you've gone through yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's such an interesting thing because to me, it, it illustrates the energetic um, nature of our emotions in a way. Because it's so interesting that I've had so many people since then, clients, just new clients who have not worked with me before, say they don't know my story, um, that I can just feel that you have been through it all. Not all, of course, but you've been through it and you can hold me. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a statement I heard that much before this happened. So it was so interesting that they could sense energetically something in me that had happened that I could, that they felt safe and could be held. Mm-hmm. And so it really is sort of at the frequency level that what what we're beaming out. Um, but yeah, I think it's given me there's something that went away with this about the fear of facing like people's deepest traumas, you know, because I faced that in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the compassion I think that I have for others just completely shifted into something much more um, accessible always and embodied, you know. So I think, so we'll lead into the embodiment piece Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I think that the grief, one of the gifts that it brought me was it, brought me more into my body in like embodied and so I've always been a big fan of being embodied because I think in my earlier spiritual path I wasn't embodied and I didn't know it at the time but um, you know I feel like the first wave of spirituality is 
to go up through the chakras and to want to live in the upper chakras from your heart chakra up. That's for women generally mm -hmm. what we do. The second part I feel that we just I think as a culture are starting to touch on now is to turn around and start coming back down and start letting the energy flow downwards and go more towards um, being our humanity and the lower chakras, which is where our power is, our creativity, our emotions, and our survival instincts. Mm -hmm. So it's about coming back down into the body, connecting to the earth, and most of us are not really aware of the extent to which we are out of our bodies. I mean, mm. we live in a culture that's very heady, you know. Mm -hmm. We're very cerebral about everything. So this was like an experience. I think this grief experience was the first time I've had an experience where there was no negotiation. This was a fact that was mm. so concrete. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It was never, ever going to change, no matter what I did, no matter how much I evolved or tried. You know, I'd always been someone that was sort of always wanting to be at the next step, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I can always sort of more living in the possibility maybe than the reality. Mm. This was like this was like a hard, like a slap from, with a hard fact, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. there is no escaping the reality of this fact. Mm-hmm. And so it really did get me into my body a lot, like really accepting the reality of what is. I don't have to like it, but this is a true fact that is. And so, and I think the enormity of the emotions that came up, that's another piece that it just was impossible to dodge that, you know, it was impossible to just, just swallow it and say, well, I'm going to go and, you know, read a book or yeah. look at fa Facebook to try and forget it. It was right. just like oh. <laughs> yeah. the tidal wave of emotions. There's no dodging that mm -hmm. when you've lost somebody you love so much. Mm -hmm. So I think it really helped me with the embodiment piece. Um And as I said, I'm just a huge fan. And, you know, my – the whole thing about Mary Magdalene is about she is the the other Mary. You know, she's not Mother Mary, who's mm -hmm. very pure mm -hmm. and virginal and sort of um, like an angelic being. She was a human being who was messy and human and, you know, there was a lot of sort of blood, sweat, and tears with her. Mm. And this is the essence of the womb work, and it's also – um, what the Black Madonnas teach us, which is um, also linked with Mary Magdalene and the priestesses of Isis, is we don't have to transcend and be these perfect human beings. We can just be where we are right now in the messy stage and that's okay. We don't have to be trying to move on to the next thing or to be evolve past this. And I think this grieving really just, it made me simplify everything so much. I just wanted to 
just be in the moment. And I had to because yeah, no choice. The, it, <laughs> it's anchoring it, you there. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I've learned that it's actually not such a bad place to be. You know, I've really learned to just be in the moment now instead of always chasing this future thing that I think or reality that's going to somehow make me happier or whatever. Somehow it kind of almost by training me with the sort of intense emotions I was experiencing, it was helping me just to work that muscle to just life really can be a lot simpler and that everything we're striving for on the outside is just showing us something on the inside that we're missing. Mm. And so it's here, right? Mm. But if we keep chasing that outside thing, we somehow don't find it in that. We we have to go for another thing and then another thing. And, and we keep – and I was in that thing with my spirituality before. I was always chasing um, – some kind of enlightenment, like, and it was never enough. I was like, oh, and I'm going to do this workshop, I'm going to read these five books, and then then I'll get there, you know. And it was never there. When I got there, there was another there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I feel like this is the lesson I got through the grief, is it just, is just to be here now mm -hmm. and be not judging myself for being here it's okay that I'm not perfect you know and I have days where I still kind of push myself in that but they are quite far and few between I've learned to just do more healing work around what am I not accepting in myself here mm. rather than chasing this thing on the outside that I think is going to give it to me mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really does. And I, I, I'm also just thinking in parallel about what you described about um, doing a retreat in France and the client that you recently led through that and how things are so different in Europe and, uh, than, it, than they are in North America in terms of you know, things are not on schedule there and you really have to roll with life in a different way. So it, it kind of, it made me wonder and just think about, um, is life there more conducive to being in your body rather than, you know, in your mind or in your head? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like for me and everyone's experience is different, but I feel like I had to come here to unhook from that whole go, go, go culture mm -hmm. of North America. Um, and I, I, I'm very empathic, so I sort of tend to feel the energies around me. So for me, so other people might not have that experience I had. Mm -hmm. But for me, when I'm living in a culture that only appreciates forward movement all the time mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. hard for me to unhook from that and say you know i i'm just gonna be for a while and be okay with that mm -hmm. 
I feel like for me it's been a lot easier here because the French actually embody that way of life. They're mm-hmm. not they they pretty much live a simple life. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they're not very work you know oriented like ambition wise you know the quality of life is a much more important thing to them you know the two hour lunch you know the the stores it's really funny here if they don't feel like coming there this afternoon there'll just be a note saying well we closed this afternoon (laughs) 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 so I, I, I like that I mean of course it's annoying at times but it's it's a quality that I appreciate um, and has helped me be more in my body and be more accepting of what is. Mm-hmm. There's, there's this pushing energy that feels in a lot of Western countries, you know, that feels quite... I think addictive in a way, like everyone just gets into that thing of we just got to push things forward all the time. Yeah. Um, but it feels quite different here. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And would you say that there's this mentality that we have to make things happen here? That's part of the whole go, go, go. It's like we have to be the ones that are driving the bus. And yeah. that if we're not, that somehow we're failing or that we are, don't have our, you know, don't have it together, right? Yeah. If we're not driving and making things happen. Interested to know what your experience has been when you are not trying to make things happen. What's, is anything happening? <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely. And so I think, I mean, this has been a huge teaching over the last few years for me as I've become more embodied is that when you feel like you've got to push, 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 that energy is so draining and so um, it doesn't allow for replenishment it, it's very sort of a drying energy in a way. It's it's just it gets very dry and um, harder as you get older to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it really stems from this whole thing of cutting off the feminine, mm-hmm. <laughs> because the feminine. If you look at the four elements, which is what Mary Magdalene and womb work and the mystery schools generally worked with is the four elements. The air and the fire are the masculine elements. The earth and the water are the feminine. Those are very holding energies, right? The earth holds us every day. The earth provides our food. The water holds us. And so to me it shows a lack of of trust mm-hmm. in the in the feminine elements to hold us mm-hmm. and maybe also a lack of trust um, well it, it is just lack of trust in the being the beingness that it's not nothing will happen without all my effort right 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 <laughs> but but I find actually the opposite of what you're saying is that actually that push 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 
it's that that stops working eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you keep pushing, 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 and it feels like you can't push forward. It's not, there's so much resistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like once I let go of that, and again, I'm not like in a perfect place where every day I'm like trusting and going with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> I have my days yeah. where I'm beating my head up against the wall. But when I just relax, it's amazing, like how the flow takes me. It's like a surge of like flow that happens. Mm. Um, and I feel like it's partly because I've worked a lot in the last few years with the Black Madonna, and I really surrendered to her at some point, like really, like teach me. Mm-hmm. Teach me about these elements of water and earth and how to integrate them with the air and the fire. I've always been really strong with air and fire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I want to know how to bring them into balance. And she does teach us if we just keep asking and keep listening. And I've been shown so many ways that when I'm always trying to push and when I'm always trying to change things, it shows so much rejection of where I'm at now yeah, and, yeah. and how I'm at and how I am being in the world now. It is so much rejection in that. And so she gently just shows you like these places that you can shine the light and do some healing work on. Um so I've done a lot of work with myself on um and I do this with clients too of what what are the things you feel like if I am this way I'm I'm no good I'm nothing I'm useless I'm you know I'm unacceptable mm-hmm. those are all things beliefs that we can clean up mm. um we can it's this energetic beliefs that can be shifted um and it's so we get it so much from the culture because I don't need to tell you you've you've been very successful in the business world. It's it's all about what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, the Western societies are all about what you can make happen and what you can do. Um, there's no appreciation given to just the sort of more magnetic flow of feminine um, be- beingness. Mm-hmm. So we have to cultivate that. But at the root, we have to shift the beliefs that say, you know, if I'm not busy, I have no right to exist or I won't be loved or I'll be abandoned or if if I stop pushing, I'll die or I don't mm-hmm. know, this, this, mm-hmm. uh, whatever one's story is. Or I'm a failure, I'm not enough or I'm not value if I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah. Right. The not enough is, I mm-hmm. think, huge. Huge, especially for women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that in what's happening in the world politically and the sort of the polarity and everything, and then the Me Too movement and all these things, how is that tied to the shift towards embodiment and about really honoring the feminine? Yeah, great question. Um, so, yeah, I believe it's all very, very much part of um, what's playing out right now is that actually as a culture, 
we are being called into embodiment. Um, so we've all felt, as women mostly, we felt, and men of course, but women especially felt a lot of grief with the Me Too movement because, you know, even if that hasn't directly happened to us, it's happened to so many people and this is part of like our own worthiness issues, right? Mm -hmm. That women are um, generally our qualities that we bring are not um, – are not appreciated and cherished um, and used for the gain of other people or other people's pleasure. So um, we're all being forced into this grief, I believe, like this collective grief to heal mm. all of this, um, this trauma of where women are in this culture and the way we are perceived and treated. And I think it's interesting because Me Too is about claiming our bodies, claiming our own space. So it's very related to, to coming into our power and owning our bodies and saying no. You know, I think I, for one, and I, I don't know if this is a general universal thing, but part of my sort of sadness with the Me Too, of course there's so many pieces of it, but one of the sadnesses is where I can see how many times in my life I have um, not stood up for what I feel felt uncomfortable in a situation, but I didn't say anything mm -hmm. because I didn't want to, you know, not be liked or be called like difficult or whatever it was, you know. So part of it's the sadness of how we've sometimes not. Um, advocated for ourselves and claimed our space and our right to have our emotions. Um, so I think we are being asked to heal this on a collective level. And I think all of these things on the, on the planet also, the earth is sort of angry too, as our bodies are angry. You know, the earth is the same thing as our bodies. We're made of the same thing. It's the earth element um, you know, all these volcanoes and floods and um, earthquakes, all these things, it's its all of the elements are moving. Mm -hmm. um, so I also think all the migrant crisis is kind of very symbolic too because it's almost like the um, – cultures from the south which is the earth are rising up and coming to the north you know mm. this is the more heady cultures the more sort of quote unquote civilized cultures mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that live in our heads and um, they're all starting to rise up it's like our bodies the earth is rising up and saying enough mm. um, so it's a very interesting time in our culture I believe um, yeah so I think it's all related okay so you offering the modalities that you do are you working with men at all or what's men's next step for women I know you've talked about us coming you know the second part of our spirituality and really coming into our bodies and through the womb what's up for men what do they need to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, that's a good question. That's the whatever they call $64 million question. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I think, I don't know. I don't know. But um, I know that many of them have been very upset by the Me Too and are feeling, you know, I think there's, for, for many men, there's been a realization of, oh, we didn't really realize how widespread this was. And so, and I'm not sure they know what to do with it yet. But I have, they will find their own way. I feel like for the part we can do as women is to step back from doing the work, trying to do the work for our men. Mm. Because I feel like part of the womb work is sort of bringing together opposites and where you're too extreme on one side of the opposite, it will be reflected to you the other extreme that you're denying. <laughs> so I think this very thing we talked about earlier, where we as women are sometimes, as, as spiritual women, maybe doing too much work, you know, always trying to grow and it's never enough. And when you, when I get there, then I need another transformation and I need another workshop and I need a this and I'm keep constantly working to not be where I am. Mm -hmm. When we start being more embodied and coming down, it's more about just being in our bodies, living a simple life not having to be so uber-spiritualized and <laughs> so, you know, it's the, it's the over-ambitious spiritualization that I think is where we can sort of come, it's almost like going backwards a bit and winding back the clock and just living in our bodies and be in the present moment. So when we start moving the pendulum more towards the middle of and not be so like always growing, always growing, always growing. Mm -hmm. I believe men will have to do more of the emotional work for themselves mm. and they will move more into the middle so they don't have to reflect the exact extreme opposite for us anymore. Mm -hmm. So I found in my earlier sort of spiritual work, I was very attracted to just, you know, I wanted to be with spiritual people all the time. Mm -hmm. And that was necessary because mm -hmm. I think we have to kind of give ourselves the container and the, the safe community to sort of help ourselves grow. But I felt like I'm becoming less that way now. I feel like I just enjoy kind of having real conversations with people about what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And that's just as fulfilling to me. So I feel like as I sort of bring myself back into the body, not so obsessed with always growing, um, that's what will get the collective unconscious of men to step more into their emotional does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're very polarized right mm -hmm, now on the mm -hmm, planet, and mm -hmm. so I believe that women, uh, as we come to the center, that rebirths the culture. It rebirths ourselves, and it rebirths the culture. And this is 
part, if you look at the symbolism of the Black Madonna, is it's really a, a statue, a wooden statue of a, that's black of the Mother Mary, and she's got Jesus on her lap. And I, it's not really a religious figure, mm-hmm. but it's symbolic of going back to the mother. We have to go back to Mother Earth, the dark. You know, that's why they're black. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to learn to mother ourselves and hold our own emotions rather than trying to hold everyone else's emotions around us. Mm. We have to focus that energy on ourselves, and doing that, we rebirth Christ consciousness, which is really just the consciousness that Christ embodied, which is a perfect, it's the divine child, it's the perfect integration of masculine and feminine energies. Mm. So that's what I think we do to rebirth the world, is we... We, when we come into our bodies, there's a container for our emotions. So we actually can feel the difference between our emotions and the other people's emotions. And we choose not to carry other people's emotions for them. Mm. We choose to contain and watch our own emotions. Right. So in a way, when we do that, we're not enabling men to not deal with their own emotions. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. And that allows them to find their own way. We're not here to save them. And that's hard because culturally mm-hmm. we're taught as women, one of the one of the beliefs we get yeah. is that we have to be the supporters. Mm-hmm. And we have to be giving and nurturing and helping everyone else and we get the short end of that stick. Mm-hmm. So this is the time where we have to say, okay, I'm going to claim – my life, I'm going to take responsibility for my emotions. And it doesn't mean we become hard and kind of horrible people that don't care about anyone else. We actually become more loving, but we're not always loving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're not, we, we can balance the love for ourselves and our needs with that of the men in our lives or mm-hmm. the partners or the people, you know. So it becomes a much more um, balanced situation where you give when you have room in your heart to give. Mm -hmm. If you're tapped out and frustrated and exhausted from just giving, 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 you're not giving from, you know, a real place of love. You're kind of doing it because you have to. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what we try and shift in the healing process is how can we start filling our own well up? And that takes starting to look at your own needs, your own emotions, hold yourself before other people. Yeah, and there's that other belief in the culture as women that we have that, you know, that somehow our worth comes out of looking after others. Yeah. Yeah. So that when we are not doing that, that somehow we are being selfish or that there's something wrong with us that we're not worthy. Right. There's that yeah. sort yeah. of belief that in order to, to fulfill what we're supposed to do, that that's what we do. 
Right. And this is more about, well, creating that balance, you have to look after yourself and you really have to. So, you know, it's almost like um, in processing other people's emotions and being so open and being so empathic and being so, so trying to process everything that's going on around us that it's almost contrary to what we've been taught that we that we attend to ourselves and that we really connect to ourselves um you know that 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 is is sort of a first step rather than you know something that happens as a result of looking after others right and it it is quite hard i mean firstly you can shift the energetic beliefs we can change those but i think what it requires of us is is quite difficult too because it requires sort of moving into a space of I don't know what you know my, many of my clients say this to me I don't know what I want I don't know like what I feel because we're so programmed to be tuned into everyone else yeah so yeah it takes a while to and it's scary to step into that darkness of like well I don't know what's there mm-hmm um, but this is, again, I think where the Black Madonna has just shown me the way. It's just like, I don't know what I'm going to find there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes really going against the culture. Mm-hmm. And that has been really hard for me because... You know, you hear judgments all the time about women that don't just cater to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but we have to learn, this is part of separating ourselves from other people. We have to learn to be able to value ourselves no matter what others think of us. And that's, is, that's tough because, you know, from childhood, we're taught about how <laughs> that value comes from what we do, right? And what others think of us and how we perform, especially in the education system. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a task of initiation. It's not a trivial thing. Mm-hmm. This is like, and I don't know if many women have really gotten to that point before we're sort of I think it's such a tipping point on our culture where as women we have to go there next Mm -hmm. of being able to balance but it's like I I saw Kate uh, what I always get it mixed up is she Byron Katie or Katie Byron no Byron Byron Katie yeah (laughs) so she said something and I thought it was brilliant and I actually weave this in with my work is it's not somebody else's job to prove your worth or to validate you. Mm. That's your job. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of outsource to other people and we want them to tell us that we're okay Mm -hmm. because we can't do it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's our job to learn to validate ourselves and to feel worthy. And I'm not saying it's a five-minute easy job, but this is the job right now for our times, I believe. You know, if you look at all these Me Too stories, 
it's time and time again, people say, well, why did these women get into these situations? It's mm -hmm. because as women, we are taught that our, you know, everyone around us has to be comfortable, they have to be happy, they have to like us. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just so unempowering for us. But, yeah. Right, then it's unattractive if we actually stand yes. our ground and or disagree yeah. and aren't compliant. Yeah. 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 And then somehow if we if we do do that, that we're going to be alone and lonely <laughs> and, you know, cast out and being seen as a bitch or whatever. Right. Yeah. But that's why I think this is so beautiful the way, I mean, beautiful, it's hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But it's beautiful the way everything's weaving together because at the macro level, I feel like something huge has shifted with Me Too because it's like suddenly, um, I don't know, there's some something about the strength in numbers that are, more women are saying enough and mm -hmm. getting angry and saying, well, just deal with it. If you don't like somebody's angry, just get over it. Mm -hmm. It's not my problem, right? Mm -hmm. So we're sort of helping each other in a way by collectively, this is all sort of happening collectively. Mm -hmm. um, but it's challenging. I mean, you, I think each of us will go through many, many experiences where we stand our ground and we say no and people don't respond well mm -hmm. and they usually the people that don't respond well usually know where to hurt you right by mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really making it personal and um, this is our task right now I think to learn to be able to withstand that and not right. to to separate out how they feel about us and the truth. Right. So when we meet that disapproval, we don't disapprove of ourselves. Right. We don't buy into that, mm -hmm. their story, their truth. Mm -hmm. We can maintain our own truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to say, like, this is so important to point out is it doesn't mean that once you get there, you never fall back, you never have times where, you know, I think we'll all still always have times where people s disapprove of us and say something horrible and it really hurts. Mm -hmm. But you don't stay in that cycle as long, hopefully. You know, you kind of are able to um, step out of it and be able to, regain reconnect to yourself and your truth with you know without too much you know like without months going by you know? mm -hmm. um, that I think is the difference that you don't stay stuck in these sort of downward spirals of um, sort of doing life based on other people's response to you mm. Yeah, that reminds me, you know, through the, um, well, maybe you can just talk about that a little bit, the princess and the pigeon story. Mm. And that felt like the message in, in at the end of that story was exactly what you're talking about is uh, 
not doing life for others and finding out what that is, that sort of, that wilderness, exploring that wilderness and opening oneself to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that story is all about, um, you know, at first getting the flattery of a man uh, that seems very wonderful and then finding that um, before long you've sort of let go of yourself bit by bit until you're just really serving. This this woman finds herself in a little house with this guy who's not very nice and she's just doing the dishes and cleaning and she's just exhausted and and completely loses herself. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, about her, her way back. Mm-hmm. And I think in that story, she finds herself in the wilderness, but um, she, she reclaims herself in the wilderness. But that is really representative of the wilderness inside of our bodies, the more instinctual part of ourselves. So again, it's about really embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really um, – if you want to, um, I can give a link to your listeners to, yeah. to, to the story. It's, it's a lovely story, and the storyteller was wonderful. Sure. You can give me that link, and I can include that in the show notes, and people can check it out. Yeah. Yeah, as well as links to, to your website and the work that you offer. Mm, thank you. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, oh, I'm just like feeling so much as as we are talking, right? It's like I'm feeling and processing so much of what we're talking about in myself, right? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, the the um, the I guess what we we're, we're taught, and it's also like so available in the culture to be distracted and to be outside of ourselves. And everything is so accessible and answers are so accessible and anything we might be wanting to know or interested in, we can get access to, we can explore, right? So this sort of, to be quiet and to really sit with ourselves, it takes some real intention to do that. And it's really easy to avoid that because... Of course, we're also taught, well, that's okay, because you need to do and we're sitting around, you know, and even, you know, I've heard this thing like about meditation. Well, you know, this, I'm not going to do that. That's just a waste of time, right? I don't get anywhere, nothing happens, right? Right. You know, and and, and that's okay, too, because, oh, well, it's just a waste of time. You're not doing anything, right? Right. Um, So it's a real, like, it takes some real intention to to say, stop. Yes. I think it's the hardest thing ever. And I have, like, resisted it mightily, I will say. (laughs) Uh, I I am the queen of that, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think it's the hardest thing. I mean, our whole culture is built on, you know, distraction, you know. Right. Um, I think, so here again we get into this concept of force I feel like before I was always trying to like make myself do it like like okay you have to do you know like force Mm -hmm. about willpower Mm -hmm. willpower Mm -hmm. yeah and I think what and what I think I've sort of started really pulling back from 
is this making myself try and be any other way than I am? Because, as I said, the, the gift that I got with this grief experience of last year was that um, I just I just didn't have energy to make things happen. I just didn't. I just kind of had to be where I was. Mm-hmm. And I surrendered in a way I've never surrendered to the Divine Mother. I really just felt like I I just don't know what to do anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, that was like, it was like a throwing up my hands thing and down on my knees, you know. And I feel like that is what really started shifting things for me is when I started saying, just help me. Mm. Show me how to do this like there's a letting go of control of it and of needing to push myself into something that wasn't flowing Mm -hmm. that's been hugely transforming in my life because I can feel like the ease with which things happen now because I don't push it (laughs) I just if I'm not feeling it I'm not feeling it Mm mm-hmm and sometimes I just do nothing for a couple of days, and that's just where I'm at. Yeah. And then suddenly, like all the, the something that I've wanted to do forever, I just find myself doing it without even trying. <laughs> so it's been a real eye opener for me. The pushing doesn't; it it has its place, but I think at some point it stops working for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think even the getting into the body, we can take it as a a pushing thing, like you got to do that, like right, it's on your right, to-do right. list. Right, 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 right. you got to right. like really concentrate now. That's right. And if you're not doing it, you're failing at that, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I've learned to just be, if I'm not doing it great, then that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I my my life, my spiritual life has become very simple now. It really consists of every morning connecting with the Divine Mother, asking her, thanking her for my life and the day, asking her to help me balance the four elements in my life and asking her to show me where I'm not loving myself. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then I just try and stay with the energy and stay present and mm-hmm. just if I find myself fighting against myself with something or trying to push, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm doing that thing again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a work in progress. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, but I'm finding the more I take the foot off the pedal and stop trying to push so hard, mm-hmm. things flow so much easier and really just surrendering to that great mother of us all, which mm-hmm. is the divine mother, who helps show us how to mother ourselves, how to um, be soft, soft to ourselves and others, um, and to just accept ourselves where we are and how we are. Yeah. And of course that has to be balanced with the masculine which is 
the one that does get stuff done, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. We just want them both to exist. Sometimes, it's like I always say, when we get hurt as kids, you know, you, you scuff your knee, the first thing you wanted was your mother just to scoop you up in her arms and say, oh, you know, <laughs> give you kisses, not trying to change anything, just rocking you. It's the, it's the witnessing without trying to change. Mm. Just, oh, I know that must have really hurt. Then you maybe want somebody to do something, right? Then we get the Band-Aid, then we put the antiseptic cream. We, there's nothing wrong with shifting things along and making things happen. But we also just want to be held as we are by ourselves, saying, mm-hmm. no, it's okay, uh, just witnessing the pain without trying to shift us to the next thing, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. When we don't allow ourselves to witness the pain, experience the pain, then we think that we just take care of it, that it shows up anyway. We can't, ultimately, there's no running away from it. No. Yeah. It shows up in a different guise, though, so you don't realize it's that sometimes Hmm. it shows up more in getting stuck patterns and like certain patterns running your life so Hmm. it's the the unconscious starts running your life and making your life show up the same way over and over and over again that's that's the sort of sad thing is it's not so easy to see always that it's the pain trying to it's the the unconscious parts those little children inside of us that want to be acknowledged they want to be held they've got stuff to say and mm-hmm. they're going to make your life hell until you listen to them mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. just like regular kids right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah Oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. There's no running from it. No. No. I mean, many have tried, and um, what I will say is the the fear is so much worse than the reality. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I've found every time I go there, it's just such an immense relief because it's something inside of me wants to be expressed that finally got seen mm. and heard. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, that was it. That really, that <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we're not taught that we can actually contain it, that it's going to be too much for us, that we're going to. Yeah. Die. Yeah. It is that. That we think it'll. I, I, I do kill energy us. Te- yeah. Mm-hmm. I do energy testing to test people's beliefs. And mm-hmm. often that, that is there. My emotions will destroy me, mm-hmm. or people have the belief that my emotions will destroy everyone around me. Mm hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's very, very scary stuff. Mm-hmm. But 
my belief again comes back to being embodied. When you feel your emotions in your body, somatically, mm-hmm. somatically means in your body, mm-hmm. they are really not that scary. You you feel them as an energy, as a life force energy rather than a story. Mm. And it passes through you just like it does with babies. When babies cry, you know, they cry with their whole bodies, you know, mm-hmm, they're sobbing. Mm-hmm. And then five minutes later, they're like, fine, they're laughing and it's gone. Yeah. That's allowing the emotion to flow through you as a life force, energetic wave. It could be so cathartic and relieving too after you do that. It is. Oh. It's like a hundred pounds of weight got lifted off you. Yeah. So it again is all about coming into the body because when you feel it that way, it's really not that hard. Mm-hmm. The thought of it is always. I always get scared before I do that work. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is fabulous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why didn't I do this before? It's mm. like, you know, screaming and it it's but it just passes through you. It's not really and it doesn't last very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's that, you know, like once I, once I access all this deep, heavy emotion that I'm going to stay there and I'm just going to be in this state of depression and not be able to pick myself up again. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many beliefs around it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That it's unattractive or that, yeah, it's just going to, Take take me over. Yeah. Yeah. No one's going to love me if, you know, I'm too much if I've got too many emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting right now. I'm noticing this in my head. Desire to ask you, so what's next? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Yeah. I'm just noticing that question and I, and I don't feel like I'm going to ask you that because, yeah. yeah. It's not about what's next. It's what, it's, it's what, what is, what is right now. Yeah. 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 Well, I am going to be doing, there is something next. Okay. Okay. Um, I am going to be doing a, a nice, it's been in my head for years and I just feel like, Okay, it's popping out that now's the right time. Um, just a monthly free meditation to work with these opposites inside of our pelvic areas, like mm-hmm. doing a guided meditation. And um, because I found that so powerful for people, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's just so painful on the planet right now with all these, you know, there's so much opposites playing in our faces, you know. Mm-hmm. With the politics and everything, it's just in our faces right now. So, I um, but the details will be on my website, um, and if people want to get on my mailing list, and I'll be sending out details about the dates. That's great. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in and listening to my conversation with Karen. 
That was a powerful one. I hope you got a lot out of this, whether you're a woman or a man. And if you're a guy, thanks for listening all the way through to this point, because I think it's important to understand what's going on with women. And ultimately it is affecting men and will play an important role on what's happening overall on the planet. Please do check out Karen's website, wildqueens.com. If you're interested, you can sign up for her mailing list and find out more about the upcoming free calls that she's going to be hosting from France in some of the sacred places of the Black Madonna. I'm definitely feeling called to experience that and hope to be in community with some of you on those calls. The show notes are part of Apple podcast description, or you can go to my website at www.leaderscalltoadventure.com forward slash 20. That's for episode 20. I hope you all are having a fabulous summer if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. School's out for summer and I had a fabulous weekend with my son. Happy Canada Day for those living in Canada. Happy 4th of July. I'm hoping to release this on the 4th of July. So happy Independence Day, my dear American friends. Until next time.